0: Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife. With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me! But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and ran outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment here beside me and ran outside. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me, but when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, These are the things your slave told me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison, where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful.
1: Well, good morning. Welcome to Jersey Day at New Life Christian Church. Uh, We're going to pick up this story, as Pat said, in the life of Joseph. Love the stories of Joseph. Love so much for us to learn from him. We can learn. One One of the key phrases that gets used about Joseph repeatedly is, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. If you want to know how to walk with God the way that your heart longs to, so the Lord is with you, Joseph's a great example, whether you've come from a difficult family, whether life has fallen apart, or today, we're going to talk about dealing with sexual temptation. And boy, we need this message because sexual temptation confronts us all the time. Advertisers like to talk about sex sells, and everybody seems to be using sex to sell. I can guarantee, I don't know what's going to be on the Super Bowl tonight, but I can guarantee you there are going to be some ads, there are going to be something where they're trying to make use sex to sell. Sports Illustrated. I thought it was about sports, but no, so much of it is about right the swimsuit stuff, right? Sex sells and everybody is vulnerable. So we need to be aware. To paraphrase Proverbs chapter 23:32, sin tastes sweet as honey, but in the end it bites like a serpent. How many of us have felt that serpent's bite that comes from somebody giving in to sexual sin? Whether they're talking about sexual harassment or date rape, whether they're talking about the Catholic Church and all that they've gone through as a result of sexual sin with a Liberty University, your family in some way, I'm sure as well. Maybe you're carrying guilt and shame. Uh, by the way, before I go any, any further, w- 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 let's kind of de shameify the room. The point here is today is not for people to leave here feeling guilty and shamed or point fingers at other people. The point is, how does God give us victory? How does God want to give us victory as we face temptation? First Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Ungodly people will say, it's my body, my choice. It's not your body. God made your body, and if you're a follower of Christ, you are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. How can we glorify God with our bodies when it comes to sexual temptation? Let's take a look at Joseph's example so we can rise above when tempted. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are good, that we can trust you. I thank you that you've given us examples like, like this of Joseph. Um, say what you want us to hear. Help us to hear what you want us to not only to save ourselves, but maybe to help others as well. Through Christ we pray, amen. Joseph's temptation, vulnerability, I think is set up by his success that he's been experiencing. Now, Joseph has been sold into slavery and it would've been really easy for him to become bitter, bitter toward God, and it's kind of like, life isn't working for me, I'm just gonna do my own thing. But he doesn't, he goes to work, he is faithful to God, even as a slave. As a result, God gives him success, and his owner, Potiphar, notices. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. In other words, by the way, I, I take it no longer is Joseph living in the slave quarters. He's been made the XO for Potiphar, and Potiphar's brought him in the house. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made everything he did successful. Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. Joseph is one of these people that just seems to kind of have the Midas touch. No matter what he does, tends to succeed, tends to thrive. And boy, that's a setup for failure, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how Temptation so often follows victory. Maybe it's because we experience pride. Maybe there's a sense of entitlement. Maybe there's a sense of, 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 of letting down spiritually because you've just succeeded. Maybe it's overconfidence. I think about King David, who as long as he was struggling was a man after God's own heart, but put him on the throne and he falls. Be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall, the Bible says. So this successful Joseph catches the eye of his master's wife. Verse 6 says now. Joseph was well built and handsome. I take it about 5 foot 7. At this point. And after some time. His master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. You know when I travel with young staff. Sometimes like Brendan Loveless. Or Preston Condor. I notice that. That young women. Tend to look our direction. And, and that's a lot of temptations. That's why. You know, I don't like to travel with, with, I'd rather much travel with, much rather travel with like Tim Mulcahy. Nobody looks at us as we walk through the, we're kind of invisible walking through the. But Joseph walks past and she notices him. There's something about him that everybody likes. He's his dad's favorite. He's Potiphar's favorite. Now he's Mrs. Potiphar's favorite. Finding him alluring because he's good looking and successful, I think he's also alluring to her because he's a challenge, he's pure. I will never forget that 70s rock star who said her her great fantasy was to seduce a priest. It was a challenge, you see. Something else made Joseph vulnerable, and that is he's isolated with her in the house. You isolate two unmarried adults in a house or in an office or in a car or in a room or over coffee, and you're asking for trouble. Proverbs six twenty seven says, Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? Now, I know that sounds so old-fashioned to say... You really shouldn't be traveling with somebody that's not your spouse. You really shouldn't be going out to dinner with somebody that's not your spouse. You really shouldn't be isolating with somebody in the office who's not your spouse. That is so old-fashioned, and some may accuse me of even being sexist by saying that. But listen, God says, be holy as I am holy. He doesn't say, be as much like the world as you can be. He doesn't say play it as close to the line of danger as you can. He says you be distinct. Maybe you say, well, I'd never cheat. According to one study the of one detective agency, 74% of men and 68% of women said they might be willing to cheat if there was a guarantee they would never get caught. Don't say I'd never be vulnerable. God says, I want you to be free, be holy. Mrs. Potiphar is isolated in the house, gets aggressive. After some time, verse 7, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Not exactly subtle, Miss, Mrs. Potiphar. You know, that is pretty bold, just kind of come out. You can imagine how Joseph must have been shocked probably at this first time. It's like his, his, his heart is in his throat, I cannot read this story without thinking of, when I was on my internship, there was a, a the, our, our, the worship leader was well-built and handsome and he told us of a time that he was traveling with some other ministers and they were going through an airport through one of those people movers and he has his hand on a rail to steady himself and an attractive flight attendant comes up to him, puts her hand on, his rail, uh, on the rail and says, Delta is ready when you are. Now the other guys around him are all the ministers are all like snickering. I was gonna reply. He was just shocked. He was kind of like, Oh, i I fly American Airlines or something like that. But I mean, can you can imagine how Joseph at this point is just like shocked. He I don't think he saw this coming at the at that time. What a titanic temptation! He is single, he is in his 20s, no prospect for marriage. Couldn't you imagine Joseph rationalizing? Well, I'm a long way from home, nobody'll ever know the the morals here are so much more progressive than they are back in those with those repressed he, Hebrews that I'm around. and God you know God would want me to free if I this is the the master's wife, if I get on her good side, she might set me free and then I could do so much more for God if I'm free, and God would want me to be free and and, and this kind of feels good why would God give me these feelings if they're not supposed to be acted on? But Joseph didn't rationalize it just says. Joseph refused. Simple, powerful, decisive. He gives Mrs. Potter for a couple of reasons. Verse 8. Look, he said with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and he has put all he owns under my authority. No one in the house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Do you notice the lack of the, the humility, the empathy here that Joseph has, he doesn't think about himself he thinks about Potiphar when you were tempted would you stop for a moment and think for somebody besides, uh, other than yourself think about your children your parents, your spouse your friends sin looks so exciting but it is essentially selfish let me say it again sin looks exciting you may be able to try to rationalize it but it's selfish, essentially. Sin makes us say, my happiness matters now. And everybody else can deal with it. Second reason that Joseph gives her is because it's just evil. I love how he doesn't rationalize. How can I do this immense evil, and how can I sin against God? Whenever we're tempted, we're so, easy, it's, it's, we're so tempted to rational, to minimize. Satan loves to do that. I remember when I was a kid, they used to advertise cigarettes as like breathing fresh air. And I used to think, well, why not just like breathe fresh air? Why have a cigarette kind of thing? But you know, Satan loves to change the words fornication is living together, adultery is an affair, abortion is health care, slander is seeking advice, envy is compassion. Joseph says it's an immense evil. I'm not going to do it. Verse 10. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. She was relentless. The original language communicates Joseph refused to go to bed or even to be with her. He made the boundaries clear. He didn't toy. The old country preacher used to say, if you don't intend to go in the house, stay off the porch. Then one day Joseph's trapped. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to do his work, He's just doing what he's supposed to do. None of the other household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. Again, nobody would accuse Mrs. Potiphar of having a lack of clarity. If you want to, hard to translate what she says, actually. Essentially, it translates that she's saying sex now. Okay. You can assume that Mrs. Potiphar has probably done this before. She knows how to dress. She knows how to put on makeup and perfume and how to use the right words. Emotions are so inflamed at this moment, I don't think Joseph has a chance to react. I think he just has to act the way he's already prepared. to re- He reacts in this moment not because he's making a decision in this moment. He's reacting in this moment because a decision that he made a long time ago. Joseph knew he had to react immediately. Verse 12 says, but leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. It is better to lose a good coat than to lose your good character. And so he knew I needed to take off right now. Job 31 verse 1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. After he, she made the invitation the first time, I think he anticipated she may do this again. She's probably going to do this. Well, she's doing it day after day. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? And every time he prepares, and, and, and so that he's ready in this moment, if I'm trapped, I've got to run. Somebody has said, I think that Joseph knew if he didn't run away, he wouldn't walk away. There stands Mrs. Potter Joseph's coat hanging in her hand. Remember that old line from the poem? Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell of fury like a woman scorned. Mrs. Potiphar is a woman scorned here. How dare this Hebrew slave treat me like this? Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought this Hebrew man to make fools of us. I love that. She's got to build the coalition. This just not me. It's all of us that he's making fun. And he came to me to, uh, so that he could sleep with me. And I screamed as loud as I could. And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment and beside me and ran outside. I, I wonder if they're thinking mm, something doesn't add up. They know Joseph. They know Mrs. Potiphar. Something's not right. Verse 16, she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. Welcome to the Oscars. Verse 17, she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us, this is your fault, came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, He left his garment beside me and ran. When the master heard the story his wife told, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious. But why is he furious? That's the question. Because look how he responds. He had Joseph thrown in prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Potiphar is furious, but remember... Potiphar is the chief of slaughterers, literally, is what the word, what his defini- the definition of his job title is. Probably the chief executioner, of the most powerful man in the world. If you're the chief executioner for Pharaoh, and a foreign slave attempts to rape your wife, you don't throw him in prison, you chop off his head. I think even Potiphar knows. There's something suspicious about this. I'm not buying this because I know the Lord is with Joseph. So he sends Joseph to prison. Still, Joseph has to feel a bit burned, doesn't he? You ever been punished for doing what's right? Reminds me of the missionary who tries to help nurse people back to health and Ajay Lal in, in India, it just has so many, the Indian government has so many lawsuits against him to try to shut him down because he shares Christ. I think about the teenage girl who tries to stay pure before marriage and gets ridiculed or the teacher who refuses to call a girl a boy and a boy and a girl because of the lie and her job is threatened Joseph's reward for obedience is prison. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Joseph lost with Mrs. Potiphar. He lost a coat, but he won with God. And he gives us several examples, lessons that we can learn about overcoming temptation in our own lives. The first one is never forget that temptation will cloud your thinking. So keep your thinking focused Keep your thing clear by being focused, refocused. Joseph didn't focus on himself. He focused on his responsibilities. He focused on others. He focused on being grateful. I love verse nine. Listen to Joseph's gratitude. After he's gone through all this stuff, he's not bitter. He's not bitter toward God. He just says, there's no one greater in the house than I. I'm thankful for that. He has withheld nothing from me. What a blessing that I have. Because you're his wife. But you, because you're his wife. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? One of the great setups for temptation is envy, unhappiness, bitterness, feeling like you've been robbed, like you deserve something that you don't have. Everybody's vulnerable because Adam and Eve was vulnerable. <laughs> think about it, we're vulnerable. I mean, think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They're live, literally living in paradise. Ever occurred to you? And what's Satan do to set them up to sin? You can't be happy with your situation because there's this one thing you don't have. You don't have the mind of God. How can you be happy without that? And so rather than Adam and Eve saying, we have so much to be thankful for that God has given us, they're like, oh no, we need to have that thing. We live in a world that is feeding, setting us up for failure by telling us you can't be happy. You can't be thankful. If somebody else has more than you, if you don't have all that you want, And it's a setup to fail. The Bible says in Hebrews, to beware of the deceitfulness of sin. Be thankful. Psalm Psalm 92 verse one says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praise to your name most high, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. You know what I think why Joseph is strong in this moment? Because it's not like suddenly he's thinking, I have things to be thankful for. I imagine, Joseph, don't you, every morning he's saying, God, I'm thank you, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. Before he goes to bed at night, he's saying, Lord, Lord, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. He's strengthened that gratitude muscle. So when tempted to sin, he says, I have so much to be thankful for. Why would I jeopardize that? Why you need to pray every day. Why we need to pray and be thankful. Second, temptation attacks everybody. Anticipate it. Be ready. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Sometimes people have the idea that, like, once I get to a certain point, once I get to a certain age, I won't be tempted. Now, sometimes temptations will change. You're tempted maybe by different things when you're 70 years old than when you're 17 years old. But the temptations are still there. I love that old story about that old wise priest. The young man came to him and said, sir, tell me, when will I cease to be tempted by the flesh? And the wise old priest said, son, I wouldn't trust myself till I'd been dead three days. (laughs) You're gonna be tempted. Don't be surprised by that. Be ready for it. So you can overcome it then. You have to be ready with sexual sin to run got to have a plan. Flee sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians 6. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. What's the plan? Patient went to an old doctor and said, doc, I've, I broke my arm in two places. What should I do? Old country doctor said, well, if I were you, I wouldn't go to those places anymore. Thank you. I thought that was hysterical. Two of us really liked that, but that's pretty good. You want to overcome temptation? Don't go to those places anymore, right? Don't toy with those temptations anymore. Um, temptation, I love this picture. Temptation is kind of like the rock at the top of a hill. When is the best, where's the best place to fight that Temptation. What, we tend, what people tend to do is they kind of toy with it. Let's get it kind of as close to the side of the hill as we can, you know. Or they let the temptation, the rocks start rolling down the hill, and they find themselves, oh, I just can't resist temptation. I just can't resist them. The best place to fight temptation is before it ever moves off the top. Don't go to those places. What's the plan to run away one woman wrote of what she learned after falling to sexual temptation. Christian woman said, it may begin as just a little flirting in the office. It's innocent enough, you reason. Some secret flirtatious text, maybe a photo is exchanged. Maybe you've known each other for a while and as family with family. So the phone calls that you're making are not unreasonable at the beginning. But then you know a line gets crossed. Your God-given conscience tells you, but you keep going. Each of us is tempted in different ways, depending on what our weak points may be. Beware of your weak points. What are your vulnerabilities? But regarding an affair, sin's deception tells you this must be love. How can God say it's wrong? Did God really say that adultery is always sin? If God is love, how could He make me feel this love toward this person? But sin's whole goal is to ruin your life, all while you're thinking, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. You'll start to become deceived by the lies when you're that you're hearing because once you've crossed the line, the enemy has an open door to your life, and you can't listen to the voice of Satan while listening. You can't listen to the voice of God while you're listening to the voice of Satan. You've basically told God, I want to follow your ways. Your heart will start to grow cold toward God, your spouse, your family, and everything good. Deceitfulness of sin has taken root. It didn't happen suddenly, but it happens because you don't have a plan to run. What's the plan? What are the healthy boundaries that you're going to build around yourself? I have a minister friend who was telling me about a time a woman came into his office, a woman was seeking advice, and she said, I need to ask you about it. She said, years ago, I had an affair. was unfaithful to my husband. I told him and repented. She said, but now my husband is encouraging me to have another affair and to tell me about it, tell him about it. Apparently, he found that exciting. My friend said, my friend who's tall and not bad looking said, said, you know, Brett, I, I don't know, but I had a sense that she was not so much seeking his advice as she was fishing for my response. So immediately he responded, you need to find a mature godly woman that you can share this with and make yourself accountable to her. End of conversation, moved on. Are you ready to shut it down Are you ready to run? Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? We set up staff boundaries for that reason. Joseph had to lose a good coat. Sometimes it may mean you have to lose a good job or the place you work out or activities that you've been doing. You have to change plans. You have to change friends. Maybe you even have to change a church. But again, it's better to lose that coat than to lose your family or your character and to live a life of regret. Finally, set your focus on eternal rewards, not the immediate payoff. Part of the reason that people fall to temptation today is because they're so pragmatic, all they can focus on is what's the experience now. Joseph is thrown into prison because he does what's right. Mrs. Potiphar gets her revenge. An innocent man suffers while the guilty person lives in luxury and power. Being wrong doesn't mean that you're going to be punished immediately. You may get rewarded. And following God does not mean you'll get rewarded immediately. You may feel like you're lonely, unfulfilled. Your marriage may feel boring. You may feel sexually frustrated. You may wonder if you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. But the sin may feel like it works initially, like it does for Mrs. Potiphar. It bites like a serpent eventually. Given time, obedience rewards. God rewards Joseph's obedience, as we're going to see. And Joseph is able to experience measurably more than what he could have asked or imagined because he's faithful. A.W. Tozer said, the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine." Are you going to focus on immediate rewards that end up biting like a serpent? Or are you going to focus on trusting God, obedience to God, knowing that He will reward you in the end? C.S. Lewis addressed this issue one time in a letter that he wrote to a friend who was experiencing same sex attraction. This is back in the 1930s. He gave him this image to consider. He said, supposing you're taking a dog on a lead through a turnstile or past a post, you know what happens apart from the usual ceremonies of a dog passing a post, he says. Um, he tries, who thought, who knew C.S. Lewis was so funny? Anyway, he, he tries to go the wrong way around the post and gets his head looped around the post. You can see he can't do it, therefore you pull him back. You pull him back because you want to enable him to go forward. He wants exactly the same thing, namely to go forward, but that very reason, for that very reason, he resists you pulling back. Or if he's an obedient dog, he yields to it reluctantly as a result of duty, which seems to him to be quite in opposition to his own will. Though, in fact, it is by yielding to you that he will ever succeed in getting what he really wants. See, the dog, Lewis points out, believes the lie that the only way forward is to go the way that he wants to go, to push ahead. Lewis, the dog owner, is, is wiser, knows the best way forward. He understands the dog's longing, but he knows how to allow the dog to make progress. What should you do when you fall into sin? He says, ask for forgiveness and redirection. He writes, You may go the wrong way again, and God may forgive you, as the dog's master may extricate the dog after he has tied the whole lead around the the lamppost, but there is no hope in the end of getting where you want to go except by going God's way. When life seems to work for you because you're going the wrong way, even though God is pulling you back, don't look at the immediate response, at the immediate result. You trust God who knows your longings and wants to fulfill them. Trust him. Joseph is in prison and the Lord is with Joseph. And the Lord will will reward Joseph. Anybody struggling with temptation today? I want you to know God is struggling there with you. Hold on to him, he'll hold on to you. Rich Mullins was probably one of the most prolific writers of Christian music in the 1980s and 90s. He died in a car accident in, in 97, but one of the songs that are, as when he would often share very openly about his struggle with things like uh, porn and other addictions. He actually shared about one night when he was on tour in Amsterdam. He and um, the man he was traveling with, um, Dave Strasser, I think it was. They were at this at the famous red light district in Amsterdam, and he said uh, Strasser went to bed and um, and he was really waiting for. Him to fall asleep and to start to snore because Mullen started toying in his mind. Wouldn't it be kind of fun to go walk the red light district and just toy with temptation? He said all night long he kind of waited, and Strasser never started, uh, Beaker never started snoring. But all night long he wrestled with these flames of temptation. He pulled out a notebook in the middle of the night and he wrote one of his most popular songs Hold me Jesus. In the midst of this again titanic t- wrestling with temptation he writes Well sometimes my life just don't make sense at all when the mountains feel so big and my faith just seems so small so hold me Jesus I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been king on Am- my "'Glory, would you be my prince of peace? "'Surrender don't come natural to me. "'I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want "'than take what you give that I need. "'So hold me, Jesus.'" And then he writes, "'And I wake up in the night and feel the dark. "'It's so hot inside my soul, "'I swear there must be blisters on my heart.'" So hold me, Jesus, I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Some have called Mullen's song, the prayer for addicts. It could also be called the prayer for anybody who's severely tempted. I hope it becomes a prayer for you. In prison, Joseph could have said, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. So hold me, Jesus, because I can't do this on my own. You've been my king of glory. Would you be my prince of peace? See, Joseph's story isn't over yet. He keeps struggling, and he wins with God. Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. In other words, in your struggle against sin, you can still fight. There's still more fight in you. Hold on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. The story's not over. Heavenly Father, all the words in the world are not enough to give us power to overcome severe temptation. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who does not shame God, I thank you that you understand the strength of the temptations that people, that we are wrestling with. I thank you that you understand how much power we've exerted, how much we try to fight temptation. God, we ask that you would hold on to us and help us to hold on to you. God, help us to have the strength to resist temptation when it's at the top of the hill and not to toy with it. Help us like Joseph to run. Help us like Joseph to be thankful to you for all that you've done. Help us like Joseph to think about other people and not just ourselves. And Lord, I thank you that because of a cross and an empty tomb, we know sometimes when it looks like evil is winning, that things are not as they appear to be. That there's a resurrection. Lord, we confess to you our sin. We thank you that you forgive us. Help us to walk in your strength anew today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.